We're continuing our study of Old Testament characters. We call them heroes, but there is but one hero in the Scripture, and who is that hero? I did not hear that very well. There is but one hero in the Scripture, and that hero is? Jesus, God, same answer. We believe in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are worshipers of God. We are recipients of the grace of Jesus who died on the cross for us, that if we receive that gift of salvation that's offered to each of us and accept what Christ has done for us, we have that personal relationship with God as all things are taken away from us, and that is a tough thing for people to put into practice, to let go of our failures. Has anybody in here ever failed? Anybody? Hands up. Okay, how many of us have ever made a mistake? Now we'll get really personal. Sin is falling short of the perfection of God. It is the word harmatia in the New Testament. It means that if there is a perfection, we are not perfect. God is perfect, we are not. God is wholly set aside. We do not live up to that standard on our own. We mess up. We do wrong. We offend the holiness of God when we sin. How many of us are sinners? We are sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. That's what the Scripture teaches. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If that was the only gospel message, it wouldn't be a very positive message, would it? But as we're talking about this morning, God is a God of a second chance. And that doesn't only mean when we come to faith and salvation and accept God's work in our life, but it's also as Christians we continue to mess up. Now how many of us have faith in Christ and have still messed up afterwards? Come on, get those hands up. Yes, we do. We continue to do wrong. The great coach, John Wooden, he was a basketball coach. For any of you who don't know, I'm assuming it's a name that we're all familiar with. Most of us who follow the sport of basketball at least think if he wasn't the greatest basketball coach ever, he was certainly the greatest college basketball coach ever. Remember that there was one year I watched the national championship as UCLA won again for how many times in a row? And he opened an envelope when he received the, the national championship trophy. And he said, I'd like to read this on air. He said, this is what I do at the beginning of every season. I predict the season. And he opened it up and he had predicted an undefeated season. And of course, Los Angeles, UCLA, had not lost a game that year. They were undefeated. Well, that happened year after year that that coach just inspired people. And somebody one time went in and wanted to see how Wooden started the season off. What did he do at the very first practice at the beginning of the year? What was the foundation that he laid? And the person went in and watched, and as a new University of California, Los Angeles basketball team was assembling for their first practice, he got them to the center of the court and he said, okay, now I'm going to teach you all how to put your socks on and how to put your shoes on. And the guys thought, he's kidding. He goes, no, I'm not kidding. I'm going to teach you all how to put your socks on and how to put your shoes on. So everybody had to take their shoes and socks on, and Coach Wooden showed them right there how to put their socks and their shoes on. Afterwards, the person who was there to observe asked him, why did you do that? He said, because to be a great basketball player, obedience is everything. Learning to follow in the little things we learn to follow in the big things. Learning to realize that God calls us 
to be obedient as Christians is the same thing for us. But the problem is, even if we learn to put our shoes and our socks on, we still are going to be disobedient. We're still going to mess up. So it's not just in learning to be obedient to God, to give our life and our will to God, but also what happens when we mess up. Certainly Coach Wooden had many times as a coach in which his players were not perfect in their obedience or their following a game plan. And so what happens is we need to have that ability to say, what happens in our life when we mess up? And we've all confessed, we all mess up. Every single one of us does not get it right 100% of the time. In fact, we mess up a lot of times in our life. The scripture that we're looking at this morning is not a scripture about putting our shoes and socks on. It's a story of Jonah from the Old Testament. It's a story of this young man who was called by God to do something. He was asked to get on the road and go to preach to the Assyrians. The scripture begins in chapter 1, verse 1, with this line. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. It's obvious at that point that God is asking Jonah to do something. He's asked to go preach to some people. He's asked to be obedient. He's asked to say, listen, Jonah, God has a plan for you. And then in verse 3, we read this word, but. But is not the right answer. When God calls us in our life, when God talks to us, when the scripture comes to us and lets us know that there's a change we need to make, but is not going to get us anywhere. God told Jonah to do something. He told Jonah to go preach to Assyria. Now, there was a problem with that. Syria was an enemy to Israel. Check your news. They still are. Follow the things that are happening in the Middle East, and we continue to see the strife and the problems that happen between nation-states. Then the Hebrew word va says, but. Jonah said, but. But, Lord, I don't want to do that. But, God, I see it differently. Life gets complicated for us. When God asks us to do something, and our response is, but. But God, you don't understand. I'm busy today. But God, you don't understand. That's not really the way I want to do it. But God, you don't understand. Other people aren't going to like what you're asking me to do. But God, you don't understand. What I'm asked to do is difficult for me. I had an opportunity one time to speak in front of a group of people to share a message, and I decided to share the message on it's better to give a resentment than to get a resentment. It's better to give a resentment to get a resentment. And the entire idea of the message that I gave 
is that there are times in our life when we just need to make the right decision and we're in a relationship with someone else and we need to make the right decision and if we try constantly to compromise and do what the other person wants and do it in such a way, we give away ourselves and that's not a good way to live our life. And so if some people aren't going to understand when we're being obedient to God in our life, that's okay. It's better to have them resent us than for us to compromise and resent others because of the decision we made. There was a friend of mine who listened that day, and a week later he came and he talked to me, and he said, Stan, I heard you give your talk last week, and I was really angry. What do you mean it's better to give a resentment than to get a resentment? He said, I try to live my life taking care of other people and doing things for others. And he said, in that day, as things would have it, last week I drove a couple of friends to this opportunity to hear you speak. And he said, we were leaving, and I got in the car, and I was in a hurry to get going, and I said to them, time to go, and they said, but, but we have somebody else we need to talk to. And he said, no, we need to get going. And the other one said, but, I'll be there in a minute. He said, no, we need to get going. And he said, I found myself getting really upset. And he said, all of a sudden I realized, here I was, I'd brought these people I'd given them a ride. I was going to give them a ride home. And now, instead of them willingly working with me, they saw nothing about just saying, hey, I don't care about your time, and I don't care what you're doing. And all of a sudden, it made me realize, Stan's right. It's better to give a resentment than get a resentment. So the two of them got in the car, and I turned to them, and I said, I'm willing to give you a ride again, but next time when I tell you what time the car is leaving, if you don't get in the car, I'm driving off. I tell the story for a different reason. But isn't the right answer with people. It certainly isn't the right answer with God. God doesn't sit and say to us, follow me, but you know, if you only want to follow me for a little bit of the time or for a certain way, that's okay. God calls us to obedience. And the reason we mess up is because of that little word, but but there's something else going on in my life that I've chosen to make more important. And that's why we need a second chance, because what happens is when we say but to God, things don't go well. When you and I say but to God, it's not like everything turns out perfect because we know better. In fact, much the opposite happens. Have you ever gotten yourself into a mess in which you come back and look at it and said, you know, if I just did the right thing the first time, I wouldn't be here in this mess? That's what happens in our spiritual life. We're called to obedience. We're called to live a life a particular way. We're called to listen to God, to be prayerful, to be regular in our attendance and our Christian fellowship, to study the scriptures, to open it daily, to let God's word transform our lives but we say to God, I'd rather do it my way. And what ends up happening if things don't go well for us? We read about that with Jonah. Jonah's been asked to make a trek to Assyria. To get on the road and go north a ways, you check it out on a map, you just travel a little bit north and eventually you'll come to Syria and he's told to go to the city of Nineveh and to go preach. And instead, he decides to get on a boat and jump on a ship on the Mediterranean and go west towards Italy, headed the wrong direction. Verses 4 and 5, we read these words. 
the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Even the mariners were afraid. When we say but to God, things don't go well in our life, folks. The reason we talk about God needing to give us a second chance is certainly about God's graciousness, but it's also about the fact that we mess up, that we do the same thing that Jonah did. Jonah found himself in a big storm. The scripture says a tempest. The Hebrew word is sa'ara. It's used by the Psalms and by the prophets of the Old Testament for a hurricane. Literally means Jonah takes his will back, lives his own way, and finds himself on a boat in the middle of a hurricane. Have you ever found yourself in a hurricane of your own making? I certainly have. It's what we do when we make the wrong choices in our life. I guess you could say that God gave a resentment instead of taking a resentment, didn't he? Instead of God sitting around and feeling bad for himself and saying, oh, it's really too bad, I can't get any of these people to listen to me, God let Jonah go right out into the middle of a storm, and that's exactly what happens in our life. When we choose to be disobedient, sometimes we get away with it, but an awful lot of times we find ourselves just like Jonah. You or someone you know could be in a hurricane today. You or someone you know could be in the midst of disobedience and saying, how in the world did I get into this situation once again? It's what happens in our life when we say, but to God. We know the right thing to do. We know the right way to live. And yet we just try to do it our own way and we somehow think we know better. Years ago, Regina and I were up in the White Mountains hiking. We were a little bit younger, so we used to be able to hike all the way to the top of Mount Washington. I think those days are, certainly if they're not behind me, they're behind my knees. And we had a trail guide, and if any of you have seen it, they still, I think, make the trail guide. I've got a couple of them at home. Their little book says, Guide to the White Mountains. And not only gives you a map, it gives you a description of each trail that you can take. And we're on our way back, and we got lost, and finally we figured out where we, we could go. And the trail had a very short little loop that went over to a main road and a really long road that we could take. And it said that the long road would take like an hour and a half, but the short road would take hiking like three hours. So I thought, well, that must be wrong. So Regina said, let's read what it says. And it says, unless you are a really experienced hiker, don't take this trail. This is a really bad, undeveloped trail that you go over waterfalls and you go through a river. Now, you also have to understand, we owned at the time a little Lassa Apso dog about 12 pounds. We had her out on the trails with us. And Regina said, honey, I don't think we should take that trail. I said, look at the map. It's so much shorter. She said, but the, the map, I mean, the, the guide here says... It's really not probably up to our standards. What do you mean? I'm a kid from North Dakota. Like, come on, we can, we can do this. So we decided to take the trail. You can ask Regina afterwards. Things did not go well. We found ourselves in the middle of a waterfall. We found ourselves climbing over rocks, carrying this little dog. Regina kept saying, I think we should go back. I go, oh, no, we're almost there now. 
Three hours later, we finally arrived, and Regina said, I am never listening to you again. <laughs> but we were young. The trail guide said we shouldn't take it, but we were young. But it was a shorter route. But I don't always believe what I read. See, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We come up with our butts and our excuses in life, and we get in over our head. And the next thing we know, we've made a mess out of things, and we're like, how in the world, Lord, did I get myself into this situation? And the problem is, it doesn't only affect ourselves, and what you're going to find with Jonah, it didn't only affect him, it affected everybody on the ship. And that's why another thing we learn out of the story is doing it our ways causes collateral damage. When you and I go to the butt with God and we think we know better, and we think that this holiness or this scripture is just kind of something that's a nice suggestion or, you know, forgiving my neighbor, maybe that's good if they have to forgive me, but do I really have to forgive them? And we start taking our will back and how we live, we discover that doing it our own way and butting God not only causes a mess for ourselves, but the collateral damage for others can be awful. Back in our text, verse 5, we're told that each of the mariners, each of these guys who were Navy shipmen, cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. The entire ship was going down. That day, not only were they in a hurricane trying to get Jonah from where God wanted him to go to somewhere else, but now when they were with Jonah, there was a lot of damage. It was happening to the ship, to the cargo, and to the people on board. Whether we disobey or someone else disobeys, there's collateral damage. Whether you disobey willfully in your life or I willfully disobey in my life, we're not the only ones who get hurt. You could be sitting here this morning being collateral damage from somebody else's bad decision. I remember one time I was talking to somebody and they were telling me everything that was going on and they were saying, I haven't done anything wrong, sharing what somebody else did wrong. And I said, sometimes we are collateral damage to people's bad decisions. Our poor little dog, Molly, was our collateral damage. The little puppy was up in the middle of the White Mountains. Maybe Stan and Regina could talk, but how about this little last apso that was trying to get over every rock? For a while, we were admiring her and talking about how Lassa Apsos are from Nepal. What an amazing dog this is. And after a while, I think the dog was looking at us saying, why don't you give me to somebody else who has more common sense? Kind of like those who took Jonah on that day. Life had started to get bad, and they were looking at this guy going, how in the world did we put you on this boat? But don't miss the grace of the book of Jonah. It doesn't end in destruction. It doesn't end with Jonah and the ship going down and God saying, ha-ha, there you go. Listen to me or life is over. It never ends that way with God. We serve a God of the second chance and the third chance, and the fourth chance, and the fifth chance, and the 999th chance. That's the grace of the Scriptures. 
That's the grace of why we look at a cross every Sunday morning to remind ourselves that Jesus died on the cross for us because he was perfect, we aren't perfect, and he took our sin and all of those bad decisions we make and all of the things that we mess up on, and he's taken it on himself to give us another opportunity to say, okay, I've done it my way, let's try it your way, Lord. Wherever you are in your life, remember, the grace of the Scripture is God gives us another opportunity. I love the old proverb in the Old Testament. It's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. That's what the Bible teaches. No matter what we may feel about ourselves at any given time, or no matter what you may feel about someone else and the decisions they've made, remember the Scripture teaches it's better to be a live dog. As long as we have breath, we have that opportunity to repent and let God start healing the damage and the collateral problems that have happened and start putting life back together because God is the God of the second chance. Do I get an amen, folks? We would not be here this morning if God give up, gives up on us. Not any one of us would be here this morning if God gave up on us. We take these children and we dedicate them this morning. We're not saying that their lives are going to be perfect or somehow this baptism means that they're somehow just have a magic key in. It's much the opposite of that. It's an opportunity to dedicate a child to God to pray that they will come themselves to a saving faith of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And in coming to that realization and accepting that grace, they're still going to have struggles in life. Life is still going to be difficult. They're still going to mess up. We take a precious baby and walk the baby through the congregation, and we think, oh, how perfect. Well, that's how God views every single one of us. Oh, how perfect. But God also understands, as we understand about ourselves, we mess up. And we need that new opportunity. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed. Love those words. Then Jonah prayed. Ever been there? Ever been to that place where the God of the second chance has you sitting there saying, what can I do? And we pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know what to do. I give it to you. God, I've made a mess of things. Lord, I don't know how this person in my life could have done this and how much chaos it's caused, but God, help us get through it. Then in chapter 3, verse 1, we're told the word of the Lord comes to Jonah another time. Jonah was given another chance. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people think that when we believe that God gives us another chance, that that's not really fair. Because look at how someone's messed up. Usually we don't do it with ourselves. We usually do it towards others. With ourselves, we think, you know, as long as I've repented, everything should be perfect and God should just like fix every problem in my life. But with other people, it doesn't quite work that way. We always think, doesn't somebody have to pay some kind of a price in their life? Well, whether it's with ourselves or with others, check out Jonah chapter 2, verse 5. He did have to spend three days in a stinky fish's stomach with seaweed wrapped around his head. Sometimes that's where we find ourselves in a stinky fish's stomach, stuck in a bunch of smelly seaweed, saying, okay, God, this time I think I've got it figured out. 
I think I'm getting the message. Let's try it your way. The next time that Jonah had the word of God come to him, revival breaks out. The people repent. He makes a travel. He goes back. He gets back to where the ship started from. He still has to travel all the way to Nineveh. He gets there. He preaches, and the people repent. It's funny how when we do think God's way that things work out, and when we do them our own way, they don't. I got thinking about that with regards to our little expedition up in the White Mountains. You know, the next day, the sun still came out. The dog still loved Regina. (laughs) I always say it's the only dog I ever had that held a resentment against me. It really did. You can ask Regina about that one, too. But the next day, we took her on a little hike, and she did okay. I still remember when we got her down near the car. Regina will talk about this a lot of times to me. She said, do you remember that day that we took our little dog Molly for that hike that you made us go on? And we're almost back to the car, and she just landed on the ground, and she wouldn't move. It's true. She just laid on the ground and said, I'm not going another inch. And she wouldn't do it. She wouldn't move. We had to pick her up and carry her back to the car. It's almost like she knew that we were close to to being back. But the next day, the sun came up, and we went on a nice, pleasant hike, kind of like our life. We mess up because we say, but to God. God calls us, things fall apart. Somebody else is doing something in their life, and we're like, how in the world can this happen? And the sun still comes out the next day. That's grace, folks. God does not give up on you. God does not give up on me. God does not look at us and say, ha ha, this time you did one too many. The truth is that God's message to each one of us is we do say but. We do try it our own way. And we do in the process make a mess of things. There are times, and you may be in the midst of it now where it may have happened another time in your life or it may be somebody else that is on your heart this morning, in which not only has that happened, but there's a lot of collateral damage that comes with it. And that's why we need grace and forgiveness and that opportunity to turn our life to God every single time. This isn't something that we too often do, but we're going to do it this morning. I'm going to invite Pastor Brian to come up with me. And I'm going to ask the entire congregation to stand and sing... And as you do stand and sing our closing song, we have oil. And we're going to make an offer that if anybody would like to come, and all we're going to do is just anoint you and say, I anoint you in the name of Jesus Christ. We'll anoint you with oil. And if you would like to then have somebody to pray with you, we'll have people on either side. If you would rather just make your way back to your seat, we invite you also to make your way back to your seat as we continue singing. The idea this morning is not just that you need to be anointed. Maybe you want to be anointed for somebody else. Maybe there's somebody that you want prayer for, somebody who needs another opportunity. They need one more chance. You've seen them mess up time and time again, and you're like, how can they keep doing this? So anybody who would like to come forward in this last hymn, we invite you to please come forward. And after you come down the center, if you'd like to have somebody pray with you, we'll have people on the side that would like to offer prayer.